0: Thank you. For joining the ONCE Changing the World, which is India's first Future Tech meets Sustainability Podcast. And today I'm delighted and honored to have with me Reena Dayal, who's the chairperson of the board for Quantum Ecosystems and Technology Council of India. She's a technology leader and an innovation management expert, who's known for her work in establishing and scaling up innovation functions within organizations and for catching new waves of technology to incubate new tech-oriented businesses. She's also the CEO and partner for Benzetin uh, Advisors. She's on the steering committee of the IEEE Quantum Initiative, chair for the IEEE Quantum Special Interest Group in India, and on, on the consultative committee for quantum for the government of Telangana. She's also authored the book, Innovation Magic. So, Rina, I really appreciate you taking time and being part of the podcast. So, before we get into the world of the the quantum computing, you know, which is going to come. I think I would like you to pull you back because, I mean, you know, today, I mean, we, we thrive with computers, you know, classical computers, the ones in, in the binary space, you know. So could you talk about classical computers, the traditional computers, how it works, and how is it impacted our world before we uh, getting onto the quantum computing?
1: Sure. First of all, thank you, Eddie, for inviting me. Very glad to be here. And uh, for the lovely introduction, Uh, yeah, I think that's a great way to start the discussion uh, because when we talk about classical computing, everybody understands what we're talking about because everybody is using it, whether it is, you know, the large supercomputers that we see today or the devices that we carry in our hands, like which have become so ubiquitous. If you look at classical computing or the computing devices that we use today, they're largely based on semiconductor technology and um, they follow Moore's law which is that every few months, the size of the chip uh, becomes half and the computing capacity doubles, right? So we've seen that evolution from large mainframes, which used to fit into rooms at the beginning of the computing revolution to the small form factor devices that we have, like the compute capacity of the smartphone that we carry in our hands today is much higher than those original mainframes, right? So I think uh, this is how technology has progressed. Um, uh, All of it is at the at at a fundamental level based on classical physics and um, as the underlying principle that is used for developing these devices and on semiconductor technology following Moore's law. Now, you know, there may be different uh, forms of differentiation uh, in terms of uh, how uh, semiconductor technology has also evolved in different kinds of uh, chips that are available today. Uh, but then, largely, the fundamental principles
0: are the same, and they are based on classical physics. Right. So, o- over the years, you know, I mean, you know, the, these entire, you know, the, the compute uh, capabilities uh, uh, powered by the semiconductor chips has, you know, created great benefits for, uh, you know, the, uh, the mankind society. You know, right from your businesses to your consumers, and, and right now the acceleration of technology and the convergence of all of these technologies is is opening up huge paradigms it's kind of you know forcing us to ask deeper questions you know because uh, i think we we are getting into the world of what you know the arthur c Clarke's quote is you know that uh, a, sufficient advancements in technology is going to be indistinguishable from magic and and we are literally now peering into that space you know because you know with with, with the space of whether be it you know ai whether be it you know the virtual Ready space with the iot 5g it, it's 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 really growing to a point where i think in the next few years we will be possibly building products, services, and solutions, which (laughs) will be actually indistinguishable from magic. You have been an innovation and new tech proponent. So can you briefly talk about exponential tech stack, collective intelligence, because there's some blog that you you wrote about collective uh, intelligence, and how is it going to transform the world? And while you are at it, maybe you could also address what should enterprise do or need to know to be future ready?
1: I think uh, looking at Arthur C. Clarke's quote, you know, that's not something in the future. We have seen that happen even today. If you ask somebody from, let's say the 1900s or even the 1920s theoretically to visit the world that is there today and the technology that we use today, they will find it magical and impossible to believe, right? Because uh, you will, you know, the way we are able to do video calls, right? This was science fiction. Uh, uh, you know, few decades ago. And now, uh, you know, telepresence and the way, you know, and, and we are at the verge of a situation where with the metaphors, we will have, you know, real holograms. And with higher speeds from a connectivity perspective, you will have a high integrity resolution, a real-time hologram streaming. That is theoretically possible, right? Now, we have to see how 5G and 6G plays out and how really... Uh, uh, how soon we are able to get that technology going but viewing something like that in real time and at ex- in experimental setups you can do it today is you know something like magic for people from just three decades ago right so i think it's happening all the time the remarkable thing is that the capacity of the human mind to adapt i think the the brain that we carry is such a remarkable machine in itself that the capacity for human beings to adapt and accept all these remarkable changes is so high that it becomes a part of life after a while. And, and because we gradually adapt into it, it doesn't seem like magic, but get somebody from the previous generation and, and today we are living in a world of magic. Now, as we move forward, right? I think uh, all of these technologies, as you rightly said, are converging. they converging in the sense that uh, they are very co-dependent on each other. Now, t- for example, when we talk about the metaverse, uh, that's a that's an area I understand that you're also interested in. If you just look at the metaverse and uh, look look at what it represents, uh, look at the virtual world scenarios that we see, right? And and the gaming uh, 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 the, the gaming products that we have, with the high k- kind of high resolution that is available. Uh, there was a time of uh, a couple of decades ago where thinking about having these high resolution video games being played online was not possible because bandwidths were not available. So every time you have progress in the communication infrastructure, uh, you're enabling some of the other technologies to be presented in certain formats. So live and real time interaction becomes possible. Uh, and, And this is particularly important to note because many of the other technologies that are associated with the real world scenarios from a virtual reality or a mixed reality perspective have been there for a little longer. And, and it's the communication infrastructure that enables uh, the availability of them in a certain format. Now, here we are talking about uh, processing power. We're talking about uh, uh, display, uh, display fidelity. We're talking about uh, communication for life, communication speed. And we're also talking about the entire stack being built in such a manner that is optimized for a certain scenario, let's say for gaming, online gaming. Now, each of this is an ecosystem play, right? And 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 if we just take this example, then it's the, the, uh, the enterprises that are in any way associated with any of the parts of this whole process have to look ahead of time and say, as technology is progressing in all of these multiple directions, what is the opportunity for me to bring to other enterprises or to consumers for B2B and B2C, you know, that will work out in the future because people who wait for the technology to mature and then think of applications are going to be left behind. So that's, that's the reason why enterprises need to be um, really thinking about this uh, uh, way ahead of time. And I give one example, but you could just look at any area. And today you're also seeing a convergence of biotechnology with... Uh, 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 you know, the people who are biotech experts uh, in on the hardware side, because biotechnology used to be biology and hardware combination more than anything else. But now the AI scientists, the machine learning experts, all of them are getting together to create new solutions which are useful for human beings, right? And for better diagnosis, for better uh, drug discovery and so on. So again, we are seeing completely different fields coming together. So I think the opportunity... Uh, for leveraging uh, uh, from collective intelligence is much higher as we go forward, because if we want to create that person who will be an expert in all of this, it's kind of impossible given the human lifespan that we have. Right? People live to a certain space, certain age, and then you know we sort of you know they they get expertise in certain areas. So being able to work with others, uh, being able to understand uh, a little bit of everything. Uh, uh, but having your own deep expertise is the uh, is the mantra for success right now i believe so because everything requires this multidisciplinary collaboration
0: Right uh Rina thank you for you know addressing all of those areas which I kind of threw at you so beautifully yes i think you know we live in a world where i think enterprise needs to you know uh have a little foresight and look ahead into the future and not be caught like how the entire world was caught with covid you know and, and yes i think you know if, if we, uh, and I, I do stress here that I think the enterprise needs to now create possibly an action team which has the capability to peer into the future because things are growing so fast. You know, all of these technologies which you rightfully pointed out, it's converging, you know. Earlier, like you said, it was biotech, but now it's linking with artificial intelligence because there's so much data which is being collected uh, today and data is the new oil and if you kind of, you know, uh, uh, you know, dig into the data, you could infer valuable insights, which you could leverage for your business and create better products and services and be ahead of the curve. So yes, businesses need to look into the future tech and the opportunity that it presents, because, you know, the future is coming in very fast. And you mentioned the ones who don't catch the bus is is gonna be left behind, because I think the world is getting extremely, extremely competitive and it's scaling rapidly. Yes, I would like to point out a little bit here that, you know, with these tech, this thing. I hope that there's more conversations where uh, all the stakeholders are involved, including the consumers and the public, so that you know the tech that we build is human first. Because that's a conversation which I think uh, is needs to be addressed a lot. Now we are moving from our traditional computers to the quantum computers. You know the traditional computers which were worked on binary codes. You know it was in bits. Now we go into quantum bits, qubits, you know, where we are going to be playing with nature itself, you know, atoms, the, the atoms, the source code alive, you know, everything, you, me, trees, star, sun, moon, the computer, everything is built out of atoms. And here we are on the journey of creating a new uh, computing architecture. So, you know, for the, the for the people who don't know what quantum computer is, Could you kind of explain quantum computers and can you describe it in a layman's term so that everyone can understand?
1: Sure. Before before I do that, I found something very interesting that you said and maybe if you allow me, I'll comment on the aspect that you talked about the involvement of the end consumers in uh, ensuring that uh, technology is useful for humanity, right? That is such an important point that you mentioned and I must comment on it, especially because today we do not have enough mechanisms to actually involve this end user community because technology is getting more and more complex and its implications are so difficult for the end consumers to understand if you take a simple example of how uh, privacy issues are being con- uh, you know are addressed you know there are these various uh, uh, websites that you go to and they ask you uh, about cookies right and and, and 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 there's a long list Do you think many people who are end consumers can understand what is written there really? No. And all of them just, I agree, I agree, right? The role of the end consumer today is very, very limited. So as an industry, one of the things that I feel that we really need to do is to figure out more ways of engaging the end user community and create those end user community champions who are not just part of, you know, some companies, a beta testing environment, right? Because then they feel affiliation to the company. But these are independent people who can actually play a role in deciding what is the right way to use the technology. And they can also give inputs to, uh, which can eventually lead to regulations, et cetera. It's a dream of mine. I don't know how we will accomplish that, but this is something which is really required. Now coming to the quantum front, So, let me try my best uh, to do a layman's explanation of quantum. It is a very difficult subject. It is not intuitive because classical computing is somewhat intuitive. Uh, Classical computing is based on classical physics. Classical physics is the physics that we see in the environment around us. And it is intuitive because we live in this environment, right? So, we know when you look at Newton's law of motion, right? This is force is equal to mass into acceleration i mean it is intuitive to figure out that you know if you apply more force to and to, to to something it will act, move faster right if you want to push a car from behind and you push it for uh, with more force it will it will move forward faster so this this equation may not be understood by people who are not studying physics but the physics behind it and the way they, we see the physical manifestation and we able to intuitively understand it now quantum physics, actually uh, quantum computing is based on quantum physics and quantum physics is the physics of the micro, which is essentially we are talking about what happens inside the atom at very small distances. And at those distances, what is the kind of behavior that we see, even if the topic seems uh, tough, uh, hold heart, uh, it is tough for everyone, not just for, for, for you, if you are listening to this. But at a very fundamental level, when you look at uh, classical computing, we rely on uh, uh, information being uh, available in bits. And bits are binary. They can have two values, either 0 or 1. And the entire and, and at an implementation level, uh, we create gates, which are uh, you know classical gates, which manipulate these bits so that you can do AND or operations, more complicated operations and use those gates and composites of those gates to do all different kinds of calculations and manipulations of these bits. And this forms the basis of the computing right? at a very fundamental level. When we look at quantum computing, we are actually using some of the uh, properties of uh, uh, particles at the quantum level. So uh, there are two uh, specific behaviors that are being leveraged. One is the principle of superposition. So the principle of superposition says that if there are any quantum um, particles at at quantum distances and we're looking at particle behavior at those distances, then uh, unless you measure, let's say we're looking at the spin of an electron, right? And the electron could be spinning uh, in this direction, maybe, and let's call it a state of zero and it just could be spinning in this direction. Let us us call it a state of one. Now, unless every time you make a measurement, these are the two classical states that it falls back up, uh, that you end up measuring. But while you're not measuring the electron, all the possible states are actually existing all the time. In all these directions, it could be uh, rotating, right? So like on if you imagine a surface of a... A uh, uh, sphere. Then, along all the edges, you know, from the center, touching all the various aspects of the edges of the sphere, is a direction that could be taken, right? And all of these exist simultaneously. This is non-intuitive, but that's what it is. And therefore, in quantum computing, we want to take advantage of features like this, and we create, uh, you know, we've you know envisaged a qubit. A qubit is an entity which has three possible states: a state of zero or a state of one. However, we may define 0 and 1, and a state of superposition of all possible states, which you know, collapses to either 0 or 1 when we do the measurement. So this is also a fundamental principle of quantum uh, physics that uh, uh, you, you only when you measure, uh, you, you know sort of get a particular state. Otherwise, uh, all things are possible all the time, right? It sounds pretty weird if you just think about it. But that's what it is. Um, At a theoretical level, level, from a probability perspective, uh, that actually could mean something as bizarre as that. uh, What is the probability of you walking through a uh, a concrete wall? It's zero, right? From a classical physics perspective, from a quantum physics perspective, assuming that you're a particle, um, or, or maybe even, you know, at a macro level, The possibility could be, you know, a very small value, but there is a possibility that you could walk through a wall. The probability may be very, 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 very low, right? It may be infinitesimally low, but it is non-zero, right? So this is what, uh, this is how bizarre, you know, it may sound. There's another very unique uh, feature called entanglement, uh, which we make use of. Entanglement means that if there are any two particles which are entangled in some way so that they have a relationship, Where their properties are dependent uh, on each other, then even if you move these particles any distance in the universe, any change in the state of one of these particles will reflect uh, simultaneously with a change in the state of the other, right? With no apparent means of communication between the two, right? So this is called non local behavior. Typically in systems, when we create a change in the environment it impacts locally in the distance where where in in the proximity where it can create an impact but we are now looking at something non local which means you have a, a particle here and a, another particle at a very far distance and there is no they are in two different locales and then you change the state of one of these and the state of the other one changes simultaneously now this is a feature which is very useful for quantum communications and a lot of devices and uh, uh, you know being prepared on the quantum key distribution side qkd uh, and for quantum communications so these are some of the features now what does it mean uh, when we look at features like superposition and we look at features like uh, entanglement we also need to look at the fact that because of the principle of superposition, the amount of computational capacity that you have with quantum bits is much higher, exponentially higher than with bits. So, for example, if you look at, let's say, n bits, right? Any n number of bits. Now, uh, if you look at bits, then these bits can store 2 to the power n values, right? In those n bits. But if you're talking about quantum bits, they can store all possible values from zero to two to the power n at the same time. This means that if you have a few thousand qubits, you are suddenly able to store and therefore process a data which is uh, uh, which in numbers is higher than the number of stars in the known universe, right? So that's exponential, right? And suddenly uh, that opens up possibilities um, for computation Uh, uh, which is not possible with the current technology to be made possible. Uh, The other difference is that uh, uh, classical computing is deterministic, right? It's uh, If you do uh, calculate a certain uh, set of variables, you get the response, uh, which is a fixed response, and you will always get the same response. Quantum computing is based on quantum physics, and therefore it is probabilistic in nature. you know you you add more uh, uh, you know layers of uh, uh, interpretation and uh, calculation to give it um, more uh, to get more concrete results but fundamentally it, it is probabilistic in nature right so uh, uh, while this may seem strange but it also uh, you know if you look at quantum behavior there are certain algorithms in quantum which uh, which allow us to solve problems, which are called a special class of problems like the NP-hard problems, for example, which are not solvable by uh, classical computers. Some of them become solvable by quantum computers. Uh, from a layman perspective, this just means that uh, certain computational problems do not have relevant algorithms, which really solve those problems in classical computing. But they help you solve those problems better uh, if you apply some quantum algorithms, right? So. Uh, That's the promise of quantum computing. Uh, Today, we do not have a scalable quantum computer as yet. We've made rapid progress in the industry and academia. Uh, To reach a a certain state, most of the quantum computers that exist today are noisy in nature. Uh, So, uh, computational capacity that we have and the algorithms that we can use is uh, limited. Uh, but there is progress happening on a daily basis. So, uh, you know, once we have a scalable quantum computer, then we'll be able to probably solve all the difficult problems that are unsolvable today. Most of the difficult problems that are unsolvable today.
0: Lovely. Uh, Rina, really appreciate you explaining quantum computers and as uh, basic you tried to make it, it, it's still, you know, so very non-intuitive you know how do you kind of understand this whole thing because you know with, with with traditional computers it's very simple it's it's binary it's zeros and ones and yes and nos as soon as you enter the quantum world everything gets fizzy fuzzy because of the dual nature uh, of, of of particle uh, the superposition which could be zeros it could be one it could be one and zero at the same time the the entanglement you know what 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 is here and what could be millions of light years away if you kind of make a, a change over here that changes over there so the, these things are so mind boggling but yet i think my listeners you know i need to uh stress that this is the way nature functions this is the way the world functions everything that's made out the source code of everything is, is atoms and, and that's the way the the weirdness of the atoms the probable nature of atoms are so i think yes maybe we need to dig deeper and yes once we actually build these working quantum computers there could be great applications because of its nature of the way things is you know so 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 tell me somebody who's been invested in the space before i get into q Uh, what could be the probable uh, applications of of, a working quantum computer because the the low hanging fruit it seems it's in the banking industry the crypto industry because those those are the space which is extremely fearful of the the encryption being broken you know so so maybe address the low hanging fruits you know what would be the earlier applications of a quantum computing in, in uh, you know working quantum uh, computer
1: yeah. So uh, that's a great question because uh, people struggle between two extremes. One is, hey, is this today's technology? Is it something that I need to only bother about 20 years in the future? And others, and, and on the other hand, sometimes there's a hype which seems to say that you can solve all your problems today. So I think the reality is somewhere in between. Like I said, we are in the noisery, noisy intermediate scale quantum era and ISQ uh, computers. And essentially, Um, That doesn't, however, mean that you cannot use these computers today for anything, right? Uh, So there are are definitely applications. uh, One of the strong areas for applications is quantum chemistry. uh, Because uh, today, if you want to simulate a molecule, even a very simple molecule on a a classical computer, we do not have enough uh, uh, resources to do those kind of simulations. uh, And especially if you want to simulate a chemical reaction. So it takes an enormous amount of uh, uh, computing power and space to actually do those calculations. And from even slightly complicated mo- molecules, it's not possible. But some of these molecules can be modeled in quantum uh, chemistry using quantum computers on very small number of qubits. And therefore, the road opens up for us to do, uh, uh, you know, uh, simulations for various kinds of uh, interactions uh, in uh, amongst molecules and see what, what is the kind of results we can get. This is very useful in multiple areas. It could be useful for materials. It could be useful for drug discovery, uh, you know, drugs related uh, uh, on the biosciences side, uh, uh, on, on just the chemical industry, you know, trying out different uh, chemical reactions and stuff like that. So these can be early adopters. These are the companies that should be actually looking at real industrial uses for quantum computing in the near term, short term, and midterm, right? They don't even have to wait for the long term and they can start using, and definitely they need to start building the capability right now. Uh, from a technology perspective, they have the least barrier. So that's how we'll put it. Uh, the second area which is, uh, which is very interesting is quantum sensors. Uh, because uh, uh, quantum sensing is uh, just another way, you know. You know, if you're from the sensor domain, um, it allows using use of certain very specific quantum sensors allows your uh, sensing to be more accurate, more uh, 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 more focused. Uh, uh, let's let's look at you know there is a uh, some discovery of a gravity sensor by one of the companies in UK which allows you to actually uh, understand the scenario under the ground one meter in depth without any excavation, et cetera, uh, to see what is there, right? And and this is great for uh, infrastructure projects, for example, or, you know, for locating landmines or or various kinds of scenarios that might be there. Uh, Similarly, I don't know, for astronomy, use of sensors uh, at the heart of this, Uh, the web telescope, uh, are, uh, you know, uh, quantum sensors, right? There are some quantum sensors there, right? Uh, So, uh, sensors have the capacity to make everything uh, better, you know, understanding the weather better and so on and so forth. So, this is an an area where quantum sensors are already being used. It's not uh, 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 day after tomorrow's technology, just today's technology. So, the third is quantum communication. Uh, which is a lot of development work that is happening uh, worldwide while this area will take a lot of time to really uh, become uh, you know if you think of the quantum internet it will take a lot of time Uh, but there's a lot of development happening in this space anybody who's in the communication space knows that you're always working uh, on day after tomorrow's technology so you know we have 5g which is you know now imminent across the world. But people are already working on 6G technology. They've been working on it for a while. And 7G conversations are starting, right? So that's how the communication industry works. So even for them, quantum communication, a focus on that right now is the right thing to do. Now, uh, you talked about quantum security, and I want to treat that topic a little separately. Uh, Let me talk about that. I think as we move forward with the compute capacity that quantum computing enables, uh, we uh, we are aware now that rsa 2048 which was considered unbreakable and which forms the basis of encryption of almost all kinds of data uh, that we encrypt uh, in different applications uh, and we thought that it is unbreakable because at that point whatever compute capacity was available it was unbreakable it would take a few uh, a few million years to break that encryption given our current compute capacities but with a quantum computer, you can break that encryption. Uh, if at the moment we cross a certain number of qubits in capacity availability, we'll be able to break that uh, encryption uh, in a matter of few days or few hours. Now, that is debatable. It depends on the number of qubits. But uh, given the kind of sensitive data that is there, digitized today, and is used around the world, including uh, data which is relevant for national security of nations and financial data healthcare data which is all related very closely to people uh, utility data that you know the encryption that protects our utilities which are online and so on all of that is uh, you know uh, uh, sus- suspect to breakdown so um, the tech, tech industry and the um, tech institutes around the world have already been working on this problem statement For a while now, so the National Institute of Standard and Technology in the US had issued a certain number of, uh, you know, they had issued challenges to identify algorithms that will be quantum resistant so that, you know, people can start looking at those algorithms. They finished around four and they announced some suitable four rounds. They went through four rounds of reviews. And, you know, when when certain algorithms are introduced into into the community, uh, which is doing this work, then there are a lot of people who try to break those algorithms, right? And and prove that they will get broken by quantum. And many algorithms did get broken, right? Or were perceived to be, bro- be that it will be broken. You know, when uh, in the post-quantum era. So finally, certain candidates have emerged which look like uh, the right candidates for encryption uh, and for uh, maybe digital signatures and so on. So those recommendations have come out in the um, uh, market, and now. Uh, entities around the world are now looking at those algorithms to create post quantum cryptography uh, solutions which will help address the requirement for uh, uh, what happens when you have uh, uh, when you are in the quantum era so i think this is an important problem to consider um, it's it's important that every nation is preparing and of course india is also very aware about this and uh, work is already happening uh, both at the industry level as well as uh, government and uh, uh, various institutes to you know to prepare for the post quantum future and therefore addressing by addressing the security requirements that will, that will be required by us uh, for that timeline. so you know when we look at y2k you know when everybody had to move from uh, to a compliant format for uh, the uh, 21st century um, uh, we had a clear date in mind. And of course, the problem was very simple. But when we look at quantum security, post-quantum security, we know that everybody has to transition uh, to these algorithms, which will be secure, not just today, but even when, uh, as computing capacity grows for quantum computers, um, we do not know when it will happen. And there are a lot of debates around the world as to you know whether we should be looking at the next five years or the next 15 years, in which case, the timelines for implementation might be completely different, right? Um, but it's important to understand here that when we have so much, uh, such important stuff at risk, whether it's five years or seven years or 10 years, it doesn't really matter. And uh, as Bill Gates has said, you know, that uh, he made a statement once saying that we always underestimate how much we will do uh, uh, in... Uh, you know, we under, you know, we overestimate what we can do in uh, uh, one year, but we always underestimate what will happen to technology in five years, something like that he has said. And it is extremely true. You know, every time we project how our technology will evolve, we uh, completely get it off the mark, right? And here the price that you have to pay for not being ready for quantum from a security perspective is just too high. Uh, so therefore, I think this is the right time for everybody Especially, like you said, the financial sector or the healthcare sector or any anywhere, you know, the utility sector, all of them to really start looking at, uh, 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 you know, their action plan for moving to post-quantum security
0: right yeah so i again yeah i think i would like to highlight you know the same point which i mentioned earlier you know that it, it is so important for enterprise to be ready you know because you know if we, we really uh, underestimate you know the long term uh, this thing so uh, yes I, I think there is some crazy things happening in the space of technology, and if the enterprise needs to be future ready, it needs to take the step right now. Now you are the founder of Quantum Ecosystems and Technology Council, uh, Council of India. So can, uh, can you you know talk about, you know, what made you uh, start that business unit and its mission?
1: Yeah, sure. So I have been associated with Quantum as part, of, I was in the corporate sector for 30 years. And in my last company, I was involved in quantum for India, right? So we were looking, I was engaged in the ecosystem. So I had a fair idea of what is really happening in the ecosystem here. And I was also connected. uh, I was already on the IEEE uh, quantum initiative on the steering committee. And uh, uh, when I looked at the scenario everywhere, and uh, uh, I realized that uh, there are multiple challenges in the ecosystem. And uh, not just here in India, but elsewhere. But then I'm based out of India, right? So when I'm thinking about my immediate ecosystem, and when I look at looked at that, uh, we I also realized that while the government will have its own focus to drive uh, policy and uh, and plans for quantum in India, uh, how do maybe there's a requirement for an entity which can stir the ecosystem, because the ecosystem at that point in time, uh, I'm talking about more than a year ago, I felt it was struggling with whether we should be looking at quantum or not. And I'm pretty convinced, I've been convinced for the last several years now, that we should be very actively looking at this for, you know, it's 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 the next generation technology uh, that, that we will be using, uh, and it is transformatory in nature. It will completely change the fate of nations. It will change the fate of business uh, in terms of how uh, businesses adopt this technology as we move forward. It may not happen immediately, it will happen gradually, but there is a need to uh, do early investment. So um, I decided to formulate an entity which will be working in the ecosystem with the government, industry, academia, startups, all the various ecosystem players and act as a catalyst and a think tank to start off with. And evolve into whatever, you know, format that we feel is the most beneficial for us to evolve into for the benefit of the ecosystem. So obviously, when you think of such an entity, one of the things that came to mind was that uh, uh, we decided, you know, I spoke to a couple of other people. Uh, I think you've interviewed Dr. Arun Pati. He's also a, a founder director on Quantum Ecosystems Technology Council of India. And so is another person, Ramesh Ketharaju was working in the financial sector. So the three of us, you know, I actually initiated the conversation, took inputs from both of them. They were very supportive and, uh, and, and we decided, and then I brought this idea to them saying that I want to start this. And they said, yeah, let's do it, right? And, and that was great. Uh, we decided to set it up as a not-for-profit. So it's a section eight company. Uh, and uh, its mission is to enable and accelerate the quantum ecosystem. So our focus is twofold. One is uh, to enable and accelerate the ecosystem in India. And the second is uh, to drive more international collaboration, because, uh, you know, personally, I really believe that science and technology has to rise above all the other issues and, um, you know, work towards the benefit of humanity as a whole. Right. And therefore, these are our two focus. Um, uh, And we've been, we are now a one year, little over a one year old organization, and, uh, been doing a lot of things
0: in the ecosystem yeah right so first of all uh, Rina, congratulation and uh, uh i'm it's a complete privilege to have you on the con- uh, the podcast and to be talking to you and to know that you have been uh at the forefront of driving this conversation and i think there is there is a more need for women scientists researchers entrepreneurs to get in the field because uh no. I I think uh, you know so far I think the rock stars of the world were the musicians and, and, and the actors, but that that is you know, it's shifting. I think the rock stars are becoming these entrepreneurs and researchers and scientists who are vested in the tech space and you know, you explain to see, you know, with the likes of Elon Musk and Mark Zuckerberg, you know, hogging all the limelight and and I and I hope that, you know, the Indian women, you know, you know, step up, you know, such as yourself because you are being the guiding light, you know, of, you know, creating a conversation when it comes to a technology which you said so profoundly and rightfully is going to change the fate of the nation or fate of organizations who leverage it and I think it needs to be drilled deep into uh, the heads of the the, the people or or the leaders who are uh, fronting nations and organizations that this is the time to kind of take that step and, and you know, move into quantum computing or start understanding, leveraging, or creating a team that understands this, so that you are prepared for the future, and uh, you're future ready. So kudos to you, uh, and thank you, uh, you know, for taking time and being part of the podcast. Now, India. So, yes, I mean, it's it's also playing a role in, in the, the, the quantum tech technology space, you know, though China has been aggressively, I might say, looking at, uh, you know, all frontier tech uh, stack uh, in a way which I, I think is leaps and bounds ahead of uh, other nations, you know. Uh, India has uh, been invested some somewhere around 8000 crores and it's got a five year plan well, what 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 are your views on india's quantum ecosystem and and for someone who's at the forefront what would you suggest or advise on nations or students or entrepreneurs uh, entrepreneurial community to do to create a robust quantum s- system
1: so uh, you're right. I think uh, the amount of investment and the timing of the investment has been way ahead uh, by some of the nations like China and uh, US, uh, etc. And especially China, it is said. Uh, you know, it, what is publicly known is that the investment is 10 billion USD. This five, by far, the biggest investment by any country in the area of quantum. Um, uh, India is, so here's one thing, right? I mean, uh, what we are seeing right now is the second wave of quantum physics. So while we are seeing progress in quantum as a computing, there is also progress happening on the physics side. Uh, And also, you know, from a quantum information side, but these, but the technologies, uh, the, the area is not completely new. If you look back, There were uh, colleges in India who were already, you know, uh, focusing on quantum information, right? And then there were already um, uh, places. So uh, IIIT Hyderabad had a quantum information course for quite a while. IIC Bangalore has had a focus on quantum sensors for quite some time, right? Uh, I mean, it's not uh, yesterday's uh, investment that that we're talking about. If you look at an institute like HRI, which is based out of Ahlabad, uh, uh string theory and uh, theoretical physics, uh, uh, quantum physics uh, experts are all there. You've already spoken to Professor Pati, He's pretty well-known internationally on the quantum physics side, right? And he's a theoretical physicist in that space. And uh, uh, Dr. Ujwal Sen, who's actually, you know, uh, was recognized worldwide for the contributions that he's done to uh, string theory. right? So I think uh, there are a lot of... Uh, 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 knowledge base and uh, foundations that existed in India uh, for uh, for for a fair amount of time, right? And uh, uh, in fact, we have one of the, uh, uh, there is a professor uh, uh, Patel in uh, uh, I C Bangalore who did his final thesis uh, or his PhD under Richard Feynman, right? So we have all kinds of uh, backgrounds and experience that already existed in India. Uh, the question was, uh, uh, so, and, and this is true worldwide. I think what you are seeing right now is like I said, the second phase or the second focus that is coming, suddenly because we are at the end of Moore's law, semiconductor technology cannot, does not have the promise any longer to give you much more higher capacity beyond a limit. You can see the end, right? You keep shifting, you know, you said seven nanometer will work, and three nanometer and one nanometer, but what beyond that? Now you're already at the quantum scale. So you are seeing the quantum effects. So now the technology has to be quantum focused. So now there is a much more concerted effort and uh, governments around the world have been investing here. If we come back to India, we've also, you know, sort of woken up and, uh, uh, the, uh 8000 crore uh, project that was announced that uh, that has not yet been launched it is on the verge of getting launched you know and i know as much as you know right now but i believe it's on the verge of getting launched uh, but there have been other efforts you know very publicly known efforts that the government has done for example there was a quest program where they you know uh, funded uh, institutes around india for doing further research in quantum in different areas right and that funding was released uh, more than 2 years ago So there's a lot of uh, progress that has happened in the interim period. There have been public announcements for the progress on quantum communication side, which were done by ISRO and the Raman Research Institute. So there was, you know, we all saw those reports and those work, uh, and um, and the work that has been happening there is really high quality. And that is based on the photonics experience and background that India has. India has traditionally been very strong in photonics. Uh, then, uh, you know, uh, there were, you know, the setup of uh, labs by the Indian Army, again, a very public announcement where QNU Labs is one of the startups that is involved in the, the sector, the industry sector is now getting involved. Um, uh, the, the technology sector in the industry is now getting involved. You know, we, we see companies, uh, we, we saw the announcement uh, from Tara Institute of Fundamental Research about a three qubit uh, quantum computer that they have made. And then uh, you know uh, companies like TCS, Tech Mahindra, they they're all investing in this space. Uh, and you know Tech Mahindra had earlier announced uh, some uh, uh, some COE, which is you know in India as well as something in Finland uh, for quantum, right? So I think. That is happening. We recently saw the uh, announcement from Amazon Web Services and the meaty, uh, uh mighty the, the you know the Ministry of Electronics. I always wonder whether to call them mighty or mighty, but you know whatever. Uh, they actually uh, uh, they are running the second cohort for startups in the quantum space, and and they're uh, you know so and we from QETCI we are running a hackathon, a come incubation effort which started in August and is running till November to actually uh start the uh startup ecosystem and and the investor community as well right so i think all of these efforts are happening and uh and you can see progress you can see enthusiasm and uh, one of the things that i hold uh you know you know i'm i'm a firm believer in is that if you look at the talent around us in india it's a very resilient and a very adaptive talent and time and again i have said this and i have seen it happen you know I was part of one of the first few efforts to get startups going in the um, drone space in India at a time where we did not even have a proper drone policy, right? And I was, work- and at that point in time, uh, you know, there were very few people who were working on drones. Uh, I remember giving an interview like this at that time and saying that, you know, we will see a very quick catch up. And actually it happened because because of the kind of talent that we have in India, right? Uh, in some senses, Jugaru, but also, right, in the positive sense of the word. And then uh, uh, adapting and, you know, fundamentals are very strong in terms of uh, the technical background that people acquire uh, while they are studying in the colleges here, uh, especially, especially the colleges that have a good focus on academics and so on. Right. So, uh, so I'm very hopeful about how we will progress forward in the quantum spaces. Uh,
0: Rina. Thank you. Really, really appreciate you taking time and being part of the podcast. My last question, and it's, it's a little broad and I'm, I'm gonna digress a little bit. So I've been vested in, in, the, in the virtual reality space for the longest time. And uh, we're pushing onto, onto the boundary. we we creating photorealistic content. And even today, I think, you know, virtual reality, what it does is that it tricks the motor cortex into kind of believing the virtual real, real, the world is real. And that's that's proven with, with extremely basic, very, basic, you know, virtual reality experience, such as the Richie's plank walk, you know, which is, is, is which you can experience even malls, you put on the website, the headset, and, and you know, you're in the mall, but you know, the experiences that you come, you're on the top of the building, and there's a plank st- sticking out, and you walk on the plank, and, and your motor cortex kind of brain tricks you into believing that the virtual is real, and you scream, and you fall, and things like that. Uh, we, uh the reason I'm saying this is that virtual reality is still in nascent stage. But like I said, you know, we really pushing the boundaries and we trying, we are able to uh, emulate the the physical uh, touch, vision uh, and hearing, you know, and, and we pushing on onto the boundaries and maybe, you know, uh, I'm saying that maybe we could go to a... Place where uh, the virtual world could be indistinguishable from the real world. Now, Seth mm-hmm. Lloyd is a professor of mechanical engineer and physics at MIT. He had written a book called "The Universe is a Quantum Computer." So, my first question: uh, Are we living in a simulation? Is the world simulated? That's the first question. And the second question, again, is David Dosh, the father of quantum computing. He he was. Uh, uh, the scientific advisor of this TV series called Devs, which which came out. Uh, Alex Garland was the one who directed uh, the the TV series. And the TV series is, is about a, com- a company like Google who's built a quantum computing startup. And they built an algorithm which, you know, that algorithm gives them access to the past, the present, <laughs> And the future, you know, through the quantum computing, they can peer into the future. So my second question is, when we have a working quantum computer, possibly, you know, uh, a thousand, a million qubits, what would the world look like?
1: So let me first address both of your uh, sub-questions also, so that I can then combine my hypothesis and talk about what the world looks, looks like. I think the first thing you talked about is that the world is a quantum computer. It depends on what context you are talking about, because uh, fundamental reality at a micro level is quantum in nature, right? So, yes, then, you know, in the physics community today, uh, for a long time, there has been attempt to look at what happens at the micro macro level, which is where, you know, Einstein's theory of general relativity and special relativity comes into the picture. And then you look at something like quantum physics. And what happens at the micro level? So there has been attempt in the physics community to reconcile those two and say that the laws of nature cannot be so separate. For, uh, for you know, it's like a, uh, it's like the human brain has somehow because of our capacity and limitations, we have found these theories which do not reconcile. So there, so for a long time, there was no reconciliation. Now the um, and and without going too much d- into detail i think uh, what scientists are finding more and more is that the whole concept of unification may depend on uh, the fundamental uh, principles of gravity and how does gravity interact you know what is the role that gravity plays both at the macro level and the micro level and maybe that can uh, you know help to unify einstein's theory of general relativity and uh, quantum uh, Uh, behavior at the micro level. And some of the the forefront research work that is happening in this space is actually a with the effort of uh, multidisciplinary to somehow happen that the quantum physics uh, people who are focused on cosmology and are looking at black holes and their behavior and black holes are a good place where people look at when they talk about reconciliation of these uh, 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 these two aspects of the universe because you you get through the event horizon and what happens within a black hole through extrapolation or theoretical projections of that you are actually addressing both things that are at the micro level as well as the macro level. So uh, today, if you see some of the research that is happening on quantum gravity. Actually, these, there are also a lot of computer scientists who are involved in the conversation there's something called the holographic principle that comes into the picture, right? And, and, you know, sometimes people run away with that concept of the holographic principle and say, yeah, the world could be a hologram. Now, when we talk about the holographic principle from a physics level, it's not exactly about uh, the world being a simulation. It is more about where does information reside in the universe and does it reside at the same place where the entity exists or does it reside elsewhere and what is the correlation? So these are early stages of research. I feel that when we say that the world is a simulation, we actually misinterpret some of this and try because we don't fully understand that part of physics completely either. And therefore this extrapolation of that this world could be a simulation i mean theoretically anything is possible as long as we don't have the fundamental theory of how the universe works you can you know just be, place your bet on anything but if you look at whatever physics has been built through the past i don't think we have enough evidence to say that this world is a uh, is a simulation um, i may be wrong but you know that's my personal opinion i don't think it's a simulation um, the second thing is that once we have a quantum computer um you know the mind boggles to imagine if we have a fully scalable quantum computer what is the um what do you need to simulate the universe right think about it we know nothing about the universe we know like a very small percentage of our knowledge is so limited in terms of what this universe is what are the various laws uh you know Uh, what are the limitations of the human mind, so we can only perceive what we can perceive. We don't even know if we understand the whole thing because we cannot even comprehend the whole thing, right? So we can be living in this bubble and saying, hey, we we got it right because because we can't even perceive uh, through our senses what all is out there. Uh, In that scenario, trying to even think about, uh, just because you get access to a quantum computer of superior capability, will be able to do something like simulate the conditions of the universe to be able to look at the past, imagine, you know, compare it with the current, and then be able to project this uh, future with, uh, you know, great accuracy. Again, I think that's a very, very tall order. Um, you know, um, I, I don't think it's possible to fully be able to predict the future uh, staying in the current. According to Einstein's theory of uh, special relativity, you could travel into the future, but then you have no way to come back to the past. If you have a spaceship that allows you to move at the speed of light or at a certain speed greater than light and you time yourself correctly, you want to go there, out there somewhere, come back to Earth, you could come back several million years into the future, but there's no way to go back, right? I mean, as per the laws that we understand them today. So it's very... uh, uh, i think this is all very good stuff for science fiction maybe somebody should write some more stories for the for the uh, enjoyment of general public but uh, from a science perspective i don't know if we can completely predict the future anytime <laughs> anytime soon or later that's what i would say
0: Thank you. Thank you, Reena. Really, really appreciate you taking time, being part of podcast, sharing your insight and foresight. Uh, wish you and your team the very best with the Quantum Ecosystem and Technology Council of India. You, you, I think, are, I believe are one of the, uh, the leaders in the space here in India who's been the guiding light and, you know, taking the field forward Uh, i hope that more people join you share your enthusiasm and make quantum uh, ecosystem here in india robust so that everybody understands and then we transition into it seamlessly so that you know everybody can leverage it you know so thank you once again for taking time and being part of the podcast and to my listeners if you like what you see in here and please press the subscribe button and until next time see you guys bye-bye thank you thank you for having me yeah it was a very
1: nice discussion